I'm one of these people that when I was in school, I had a very difficult time even getting up in front of the class and giving a book report. I just, I just couldn't do it. I had a hard time. Uh, I stumbled over my words. I just, and when God called me at the time, I thought I was going to be a preacher uh, and went to Bible college. And I actually, I had an argument with God. I said, how am I going to go to Bible college? I, I'm not smart enough. I can't do that. Well, he kept impressing, and I went, and I was absolutely amazed that I got through Bible college. I didn't. I just didn't think I was capable, and I'm not. It was only God that got me through. I couldn't have done it myself. I'm telling you, I know who I am, and I could not have done it without God. So whatever, I, I don't... I'll just tell you, I don't get nervous when I have to teach or preach. I don't. What I do is realize how small I am, how I'm nothing. It's all God. It's not me. I have to put myself out of the way and let God take over because I'm not capable. I I can't. I couldn't do it on my own. So uh, if you would like, turn to the book of Exodus. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint a picture for you uh, to begin with, to let you know some things here in Exodus, and then right at the end, we're going to go to the New Testament and take a look at something else that what I'm going to give you now sets a picture and lays the groundwork for what we're going to get to in the New Testament. Has anybody ever heard of types and shadows of the Bible? Well, that's what we're going to look at is it actually happened, but it's still a type and a shadow of things to come. Now, um, in verse 20, or chapter 25, look at verses 8 and 9. Now, this is the only scripture that I'm going to read for this section of it. Uh, I'm just going to paint this picture for you. And um, verse 8 of chapter 25 says, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall ye make it. Now, God gave this to Moses. Remember, Moses went out into the wilderness. Moses went up on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments from God. When he was up there, the people went crazy. They started fabricating idols and they started acting godless and... uh, just in that shorter time. Now, God had bought them out of bondment, out of being uh, bonded to uh, serving the Pharaoh. And they were slaves. And he brought them out of this bondage, took them into the wilderness, supplied. Now, think about this. This was a desert, you might say. And God brought them 
from a place that they could get what they wanted. They could get food and water and so forth. He bought them. We're not talking about a few people. We're talking about millions of people that went into the wilderness. There was no source of water and food, or very little. And he supplied, God supplied their needs. All these people, he supplied their needs. He took them across the river that was insurmountable. A person could not get from one side to the other. Now, I'm a good swimmer, but according to what they say about the Red Sea and, and the, uh, this that they went across, you could not swim from one side to the other. The current was too great, the water was too deep, but yet God got them across on dry ground. Think about that. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine. So, here he says to Moses, and let them make me a sanctuary. God did not dwell with man at this time, up until now. He didn't dwell with men. But he's saying, make me a sanctuary. This is a dwelling place for God. And he says, that I may dwell among you. God wants to dwell with us. We have a building here that we come and worship God. God is in this place. Whether you know it or not, when you come into this... Let me give you a little history about myself. When I was a kid, when I was little, we came into church... All of our chewing gum had to go outside before we came in. We weren't allowed to chew chewing gum in church. That was a reverent place. That was a place of God. And those distractions stayed out there. We sat as a family in church. We could not sit here and there or with friends or anything else. It was as a family. There were nine of us. We filled up a pew and then some. And... We all sat together. You did not talk in church. When the preacher was preaching, you sat there and listened. And I'm telling you, you did not want to face dad if you misbehaved. I brought my children up the same way. I remember one time in church that my daughter was misbehaving in church. And I looked back and I said, stop. And she was right behind me. And a little while, she was doing the same thing. And I stood up, grabbed her by the hand, and took her out. And as we went out, Dawn says, Pray for me! Please pray for me! <laughs> she knew what was going to happen. So they had to behave in church. They weren't allowed to run. And this all came from my upbringing. Uh, weren't allowed to run in church. Dad said you treated church reverently. You did not act like you do in the world. And that's the way it should be. Now, I love children. Uh, I, I raised two of my own. And I love children. But there's a place called church that you've got to get a rain on your children. It's God's house. This is where God is 
and, and stay. So Moses was told to build this place uh, according to his instruction. Now, we'll talk about and build a picture here of the tabernacle. How many know anything about the tabernacle? Not the temple, but the tabernacle. Okay, let me paint you a picture here. The tabernacle, the meaning of the tabernacle, when you look at it in the original language, tabernacle means to dwell. And here, this particular tabernacle was a tent. So, we have in the wilderness, they built a fence. It was a rectangular fence. Inside the fence was the tabernacle, this tent that was built to God's instructions. And the tabernacle was a temporary place for God to dwell. This was a picture or a type of things to come, uh, of Christ coming to dwell with man temporarily. As the, the tabernacle was temporary, because think about it, they were in the wilderness and they had to move. They, didn't, they weren't fixed. The people were moving. They were going through the, the wilderness. So they had at certain time to pick up, move the tabernacle to a different place. So it was a temporary place for God to dwell. And it shows the temporary, when Christ came, he came temporarily. He came and lived and he died on the cross that we might have eternal life. Until he was crucified, God did not dwell with us. But after Jesus was crucified, and he didn't dwell with us within our hearts, until after he was crucified, then moved in God through the Holy Spirit. We have now the Holy Spirit. What is this body that we carry around? Tabernacle. It is our tabernacle or our temple. And who dwells there? If you're saved, God dwells there through the Holy Spirit. We are not to defile the temple. And there's many ways to defile the temple. What you put into you. Through this, through this, you do not hear the wrong things. You do not look at the wrong things. They can take you down a road that's hard to get away from. And anybody that's got caught up in these things knows what it can do to you. And I'm talking about, and I've never smoked, never drank, none of that stuff, even though Navy is known for drinking and all the things that they do. I refused, and I was ridiculed, but I refused to do any of that. They wanted me and urged me to get a tattoo. I said, God did not put a tattoo on me. I'm not getting a tattoo. And uh, they realized after a while that, uh, and I was a different person then, believe me, uh, that I stood up uh, to any of them in any physical way, and they realized I wasn't a wimp. And uh, 
just because I didn't get a tattoo or just because I didn't drink. So, man received the Holy Spirit. And here in the tabernacle, when it was set up, between the fence and the tabernacle, the tabernacle set itself was a tent, and inside the tent were some items that we're going to talk about. Between the tabernacle and the rectangular fence, there was a brazen altar. This was a picture of judgment where the priest would perform sacrifices. Now, when the people came with sacrifices, remember, they had to do something about sin. You can't let sin go. So the people would bring sacrifices to the priest. The priest would go in, and people just couldn't go in the temple. The priest would go in with the sacrifice, and he would put the uh, sacrifice on the brazen altar. And, And the brazen altar was a picture of judgment. And he would perform the sacrifice. Now once the sacrifice was made, that priest had to go to another place just above the brazen altar. It was called the bronze laver, L-A-V-E-R, laver. It was, I would say, if you want to think about it, it was just a large, like a birdbath, a fairly large birdbath. And the priest had to go there and wash his hands and his feet. In order to go further, that's what he had to do. Now, when the uh, temple that Solomon made was made, these things were changed, but the, even though they were the same in a way, but they were changed, like the laver. The laver was, like I said, like a big bird bath. When Solomon built the temple, it was more like a pool. And instead of washing hands and feet, they had to be washed entirely. So that was a change that they made. So this bronze laver, they would wash their hands and feet, representing the cleansing. The altar of uh, incense was located in the holy place, in the inner court. So you went from the laver into the tent where the altar of incense was located. Uh, And that's called the inner court. And this altar of incense represents the prayers, raising of prayers, as we raise our prayers to God. Pardon me. Beyond that, there was a veil. The priest, and only the priest, and, and through the veil was called the Holy of Holies. It was a sacred place where God dwelled. They would go into there, in, in through the veil, and this veil was very thick. It was... Uh, made in 
various parts of fabric, colors, and all that represents things. If I go in depth in this, uh, I would I would never finish in just a few times. So I'm trying to skim over the biggest part of this. <clears throat> but this uh, altar of incense represented the prayers, raising of prayers. Also in the inner court was the lampstand with seven candles representing uh, the number seven is the number of completion. So this was something that they had to do for completion. Uh, It also represents the light of the world. Who is the light of the world? Right. So this is something that's a type and shadow of looking to forward. Uh, John 1 talks about who Jesus is. He is the light of the world. He's our light. And we therefore, when he gives us light, we should take that light and go spread that light into the world. It's our obligation. This isn't a game. People look at Christianity almost like a game that they play. This is real. It's more real than anything else you ever know about. And we should take it serious. We shouldn't take it lightly. It should be a serious thing, something that's more serious than anything else in our life. And so, we take this light and spread it around. Then we have the table of showbread. Uh, There's 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. But mostly, it represents the bread of life. Who is the bread of life? Jesus is the bread of life. And he gives us that bread that we will never hunger. Uh, Physically, we get hungry and we eat. Spiritually, if we have the bread of life, when we're saved, it's for good. There's no changing it. You don't lose your salvation. I think there's a lot of people that call themselves Christian that never had salvation, so they feel like they can lose it. But if you're true and you're really a Christian, you're not going to lose salvation no matter what. Uh, Jesus is the bread of life, John chapter 6, 32 and 33. These are all types and shadows. Then there was the veil, which separated everything from the Holy of Holies. The veil, only the priest that was doing the work here could go in through that with the sacrifice. And inside the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the ark was the rod of Aaron and the tablets from the Ten Commandments. This was so sacred, when they moved it, only the priests could move it. They had rings all the way around, and they would put poles through those rings. Only the priests could touch this. If anyone else touched it, they would die. And so, God's serious here. I mean, if if somebody else touched that ark, they would die. There was no... Everybody knew about it, so 
there was no like, oh no, don't touch that. And it, it was serious. And what we have today, our salvation is serious. Very serious. I can't emphasize that enough. Resting on top was the mercy seat. This is where the blood was sprinkled for the sacrifice of sin. On the mercy seat, there were two angels with their wings spread toward each other. But there was a space in between the wings. And that's where God dwelled. That space. Now, if you turn to 1 John, this is the point of the whole matter. The book of John, 1 John. First John, chapter 2. <clears throat> I'm going to read the first two verses. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, that word advocate, if you uh, look at the original writing here, an advocate is one who pleads the cause for another, almost like a lawyer. It's also a comforter or consoler. So we have an advocate, which is Jesus Christ, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we have that, once we're saved, we automatically have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Representing that little space where God dwelt. The little space inside of us. And then it says in verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now here's the important thing. If you remember nothing else, remember this. That word propitiation means mercy seat. If you look it up and follow it, you'll find that propitiation is the same word from the Hebrew to the Greek, meaning mercy seat. Jesus is our mercy seat. When the priest took the sacrifice and sacrificed the animal for sin, Jesus is our sacrifice for sin. He's the one that paid the price. Just as the animal paid the price for these people's sin, Jesus paid the sacrifice for us. When, when the sacrifice was made back then, it was only done for a year. They had to come back every year and do the same thing over for sin. Jesus died once for all. 
he was sacrificed, and it was the only sacrifice that ever had to be made. And once we accept Christ as our Savior, that blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, which is Christ. The veil of the temple was rent when Jesus died on the cross. And that's found in Mark 15.38. Think about that. Why was the veil torn asunder? Why was it rent from top to bottom? Because man could not go into the mercy seat or the holy of holies because the veil stopped them from going. When that veil was rent from top to bottom, it opened up our dwelling and going to God directly. We don't have a veil. There is no veil. It was rent. We can go to Him directly. We don't have, a, we don't have to have a priest. We don't have to have an a evangelist or a preacher or anyone else to go to God. We can go directly to our Lord and Savior. There is no veil. It's gone. He sent us the Comforter. He sent us our Advocate. In John 14, 16 through 20, it talks about the Comforter. He sent the Comforter. Who is the Comforter? He's the Holy Spirit. He is our Comforter. He is who helps us, guides us through this life. We can't do this on our own. Don't even try to do it on your own. We have to have God's guidance through the Holy Spirit in this life. He convicts you of your sin. When you do something wrong, He convicts you. And He shows you, hey, this isn't right. You better stop. And believe me, I'm telling you, there is a consequence for sin. Always. You might be saved, but if you get into sin, there's going to be a consequence. You're not going to lose your salvation, but there's going to be a consequence. I have seen so many people go through so many things because of the consequence that came through them disobeying God or going out from God. Then we have what is called sanctification. Sanctification is a process. Sanctification and justification go hand in hand. When you get saved, you get justified. And that word justified, you can say it this way, just if I'd never sinned. Justified. You get justified. But then you go through sanctification. It's a process. God takes you through sanctification. Turn to the book of Hebrew, chapter 10. And look at verses 10 through 14. The Bible says here, by the which will we are sanctified 
through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, that word sanctified in the original language, if you follow it, also indicates that sanctification is a washing. As you saw in the tabernacle, uh, the laver, you you had to be washed to go in further. And sanctification is a washing. This is something that uh, is over time. It says in verse 11, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made a footstool. (coughs) Pardon me. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So we are sanctified through time. And that is a washing. We are not completed until end this life. It's a process through our life that we are sanctified through that time. And he knows the right time. And he will take us home when the right time comes. I I often wondered about this thing called life and when it ended. Uh, I have had many tragedies in my life, my sister, which was only 17, and probably the closest to me of any of my brothers and sisters, was shot to death by her husband, uh, shot right through the temple. And I was a kid. I was 20 years old. I had just gone in the Navy, and I didn't understand. But he comforted me to know she was in heaven. But I still didn't really understand this whole thing. And then, a year later, almost to the day, my brother, which was an excellent swimmer, drowned in three foot of water. And uh, I'm sure it was, uh, it was murder. It wasn't that he just did this. Uh, but anyway, uh, later... My sister, who had uh, given her life to the Lord and uh, even turned down marriage to go to the mission field, uh, a year after she went, she got cancer and died. Actually died on my birthday. I didn't understand all these things. God did, but I didn't. Uh, My mom and dad both died. My brother that was ended up, we weren't close young, but uh, when we got older, the last probably 15 years, he and I were like brothers, I mean, not we were brothers, but we were best friends. I mean, he was very, we were very close. Uh, he had just gone to the doctor, got a clean bill of health, and the doctor even told him, he said, you'll probably live to be 100. Uh, within a week, he went to a uh, 
where you go for health, you swim and run and all those things. And he got in the hot tub and swam in the pool and got in the uh, uh, spa, whatever it's called, where they put heat in there. He died of a heart attack. He was dead when they opened the door. Uh, this was in the last couple of years. Uh, a year later, my wife got sick. She felt bad. Took her to the doctor. Tested us. They took her away, and I never saw her again. She died in the hospital. Never got to see her again. I didn't understand. I still don't really understand, but God knows. He is the one that determines. And there's a reason for it. It's not for me to try to figure it out, but God knows. He knows all about it. Yeah, it's a hard thing to lose somebody close. But it's not about me. It's about God. It's all about God. It's not about me. It's not about my petty things that bother me or anything I go through. It's all about Him. And we should make our lives a living sacrifice for Him. We really should. We get caught up in this life. All of us. When we should be spending the bulk of our time spreading the word and telling people how to get to heaven. That's what's important. That's what's vital for us as Christians. There's nothing in your life that's more important than spreading God's word. But we get caught up. There's a lot of things that the world has that draws us in. But we've got to put those things aside and concentrate on Him. Now I know it seems easy for me to say because I've, I've been retired for 15 years. So I have a lot of time where you that work don't have all that much time. But you know, when I was working, there were, I set times aside. Like for instance, when I went to work. Now I didn't close my eyes, but I prayed to God. All the way to work. I would pray. Pray for things. We can pray. You know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. That means we should pray on a regular basis. Prayer is so important. We need to pray for each other. We don't know what somebody else might be going through. And so we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's vital. It, it, I've seen prayer answered so many times. It works. Prayer works. Don't think that it doesn't. Don't think that it's insignificant. Prayer is important for all of us. We should, if we want to be the kind of Christians that we should be, we should get as close to Him as we can. We should just move right up beside Him. But people don't take this serious enough. And... When I was young, 
I know that I didn't take it serious enough. But I think the older you get, the more you realize how important it is as a Christian. And that people's lives are hanging on the balance, and it may be up to you to witness to that very person that no one else may come in contact with that is willing to witness. Take every opportunity that you can to win someone to the Lord. It is so very important. So the mercy seat represents the tabernacle. And Jesus is our mercy seat. He's our propitiation. And for what he did for us, we should be willing to sacrifice a few things for him. To give him what he wants us to give him. Please don't take this as some kind of a game. Because it's not a game. It's important. It's important for the lives of the eternal lives. Now, remember, everyone gets to live forever. Everyone. But where is that going to be? Heaven or hell? And ultimately, the lake of fire. The lake of fire is even worse than hell. Think about this. A picture of the lake of fire is, first of all, outer darkness. That means it's dark. It's a place of darkness. It's also the bottomless pit. There's no bottom. So that means you're falling forever in darkness. But also there's great heat. So you're like a, a rotisserie. You're going to be falling in darkness forever, and you're going to die over and over. That's why they call it second death. It's so bad, you'll die, you'll die, you'll die. And you keep dying, it's so bad. It's not a plaything. This isn't, this isn't a game. And people are going to go there. And it's up to us to stop people from having to go there. What are we doing? What are we doing with our lives? And I want to leave that with you. What are you doing with your life? 